I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. So remember Marie Kondo? A few years ago, back when the biggest thing to sweep the world wasn't a virus, but a predilection for folding vertically and asking yourself if your socks spark joy? Mine do, by the way. It was in that marginally gentler, sweeter, and certainly well-organized time that the team at The Doc Project made an incredibly weird episode. The day before the story you're about to hear first broadcast back in April of 2019, Doc Project senior producer Jennifer Warren came over and leaned against my desk and said, This is it, kid. Okay, she probably never said kid, but this is a reenactment. This is it, kid. Tomorrow will either be a star moment of our careers or we're all going to get fired. I pointed out that as the person in charge, likely only she would get fired. Inexplicably, that didn't seem to calm her. Well, it's been three years, and Jen is still here. We all are. And that little documentary has gone on to become one of our most popular, most beloved, and most requested episodes of all time. It made it into the winner's circle for the New York festivals and the Third Coast International Audio Awards. But more importantly, it made it into the inner circle of our hearts. And today... To spark some of the joy that we could all use this long weekend, it's back by popular demand. A story of consumerism and compromise and one man's quest to make sense of a treasured possession. Like all good theater, we will start with a prologue. In 2019, in the wake of Marie Kondo, Tom Howell found himself in a predicament because along with all the decluttering, the collective guilt over unheeded consumerism, Regret over ill-advised and wasteful purchases, Tom had a different problem. One that left him asking, what happens when an object sparks way, way too much joy? Enough joy that it starts disrupting your life. So, as the lights dim on your radio theater and the velvet curtain rises... Please mute your cell phones. No flash photography allowed. This is Towel of Song. See my towel, I sing. A documentary musical. Over the years, I've bought articles of clothing that I just found myself loathing over the years. That's not unusual, don't feel bad. Over the years, I've been overcome by urges to make a strange and sudden purchase over the years. Gonna need a concrete example. I bought a marble handle shaving razor. Why? You have a beard. I bought an antique rotary phone. Do you have a landline? No. Okay, that 
one's weird. I've turned into such a consumer. I'm so easy to upsell. And what brings it into focus is the tale of my towel. Okay, so once upon a time, I was walking along Queen Street East in the Canadian city of Toronto when I came across a sign outside a store I'd never noticed before. It was a sign painted by hand in red paint, and it said, Turkish towels have arrived at last, pursued by three exclamation points. I thought, I don't know what Turkish towels are, nor do I want to miss out. So seconds later, I was inside meeting the man I would come to refer to as my towel merchant. My name is Aristides Pasparakis. Right now, I sell towels, amongst other things. Were you looking for towels? I wasn't, I replied, but I would be pleased to meet some nonetheless. Yeah, right now I have some exceptional towels. Aristides Pasparakis got up from the mosaic bistro table where he'd been sitting with his book and a cigar, and he led me through to his towel chamber. There were towels to the left of us, towels to the right of us, and in front of us, more towels. This is called a peshtemal in Turkey. They're made on looms, and they cut off at every two meters or so. They take it, they pull out some of the threads, they twist, and they knot them. So every single Turkish towel is hand-finished. They are really that much better than any other towel. To imply that Aristides spent the best part of an hour selling me a towel would be misleading. For most of that hour, he spoke to me of his travels to Cancun, to India, and Turkey, where he visited the markets and bought the items that he now sells from his store. He spoke to me about his PhD in metallurgical science and the restaurants he used to own. He wanted to know if I'd read the Greek poet Kavafi. And when I admitted I hadn't, he asked if I'd read the Greek poet Kavadias. And when I again admitted I hadn't, he explained the contrast between the high style of Kavafi and the low style of Cavadias. And he wrote down the names of books by each of them as a minimal corrective to my apparent complete ignorance of modern Greek poetry. By this point, I began to see it would be churlish of me not to buy a towel. Aristides Pasparakis. And he sold me my towel. I'm not sure that I'm necessarily a good salesman, but I'm a good storyteller. I come from a background in Crete of the last remaining bards or minstrels, you know, the roaming minstrels. In my culture, in Cretan culture, in a wedding or a baptism, it's like you have to have at least one minstrel or one bard who actually makes up poems and uh, rhyming couplets, and they keep making up these poems and stories. And In the same way, I seem to be able to come up with that material when I'm selling a towel. If you want stories, you want towels. If you want stories about towels, Aristides Paspalakis is your man. The first towel I bought from Aristides is right here beside me. It's a flat weave cotton fabric like a shawl or a tea towel. Its threads are a multitude of colors in the red, ochre, and umber parts of the spectrum. It cost me $50. In case you don't know, this is almost double the price of a terry cloth towel from a department store. But of course, the important question is, each time I hold it in my hands in the bathroom, 
does it spark joy? Well, no, not exactly. No. Joy is too humble a word For a towel that sparks feelings that long to be heard No, joy is too quiet a thing When I see my towel I see I see my towel, I sing. It is probably my favorite thing. It's a towel made in Turkey, the finest sort of thread. I bought it from a towel merchant, this is what he said. His name is Aristides Kasparakis. Right now he sells towels amongst other things. You might think that prancing around the bathroom singing a hymn of praise to one's own towel is the peak of a man's capacity for contentment. But that's not how love works. Once there, I wanted more. The next towels I bought from my towel merchant were a simple, traditional, classic. Aristides was emphatic about which ones would best suit my personality. Unbleached cotton, plain, unpretentious, with stripes in complementary hues of maroon, aquamarine, emerald, and cyan. These four towels cost me 200 more dollars altogether. It was becoming an expensive habit, but I needed to grow my Turkish towel collection so I could cast my old terry cloth towels out of my house and into a fabric recycling bin. It was a matter of loyalty. Listening to Aristides, you quickly see terry cloth is not just a rival toweling material, it's an enemy. Terry cloth just doesn't really absorb. Terry cloth doesn't dry fast enough. Towel ends up smelling. You really have this foul smell emanating from terry cloth. Yeah, you know what? It's a pain. Now, Aristides is not the only character in this drama. You're about to meet Linda. She's a woman who recently moved into my house and decided of her own volition to marry me in the near future. So I read up on the major causes of marriage failure, and it seems there are two main topics to watch out for, money and aesthetics. It's important for couples to merge their ideas about what's a reasonable way to spend money, and what sorts of objects to cherish and love and towel themselves with while singing with joy. Otherwise, these differences will fester and cause problems down the line. So when Linda moved in and started hanging her old terry cloth towels in the bathroom, I didn't waste a moment. Babe, are you sitting down? Ah, uh, yes. I have bought something for you. Oh, what is it? It's a towel. Oh, it's, uh, it's brown. Check the thread. I bought it from a towel merchant. This is what he said. About terry cloth. Terry cloth just doesn't really absorb. Terry cloth. It doesn't dry fast enough. When I see a terry cloth towel, I can almost see it that it's unhealthy to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just for health reasons, practical reasons, you shouldn't use terry cloth. Yeah, you know what? It's a pain. I also made sure to pass on to Linda the most important instruction for beginner users of Turkish towels. The technique is quite different from when you use terry cloth. For instance, you don't rub yourself, you pat. 
That's one of the biggest advantages of a Turkish towel. You can pat yourself dry. When you pat yourself dry, your skin will be dry, but you still have a tingling, refreshing feeling because your pores are hydrated. We get so used to not having that feeling that when I first started using Turkish towels again, about 10, 12 years ago, for the first few times I thought, you know, I'm not dry. And then you feel your skin, you see, yes, you are dry. What you're feeling is the moisture in the pores. Pat yourself. Pat yourself. Okay, so your thing is that you want me to use this towel, and then my life is going to be changed for the better. Yeah, and then let me know what you think. Alright. Feel... Let me know if I'm treading on your privacy. Mm. No, I mean, how could you possibly be? Okay, alright, get out of here for just like a minute. Are you using the towel yet? Not yet. I will let you know. Thoughts, feelings so far? You're not gonna like them. I mean, thank you for my nice present. However, <laughs> my main complaint is that this towel is not very good at drying a person. You had one job, towel. Feel how this is like kind of rough and also slippery all at the same time? Yeah, you're supposed to pat yourself with these towels. If you sat there patting yourself, this is not a normal way to... Like, I'm just gonna sit here pat myself all day? It doesn't take any longer. I feel like it does. It's supposed to be like a light, fluffy cloud that you envelop yourself in. Every day that I've been here, the other one of these towels that you love has been hanging in the washroom. And every day I'm like, ah, this stupid towel that's so hard to use and doesn't make your hands dry and it takes like so much longer to dry your hands. And then I walk out of the bathroom and I forget all about it until the next time I'm drying my hands in the washroom. So I kind of feel like your love for these towels is just gonna essentially overwhelm my ability to care enough about towels to switch them out for the ones that I like. It's true, I care more about towels than yeah. the average person. That is a fact. For the first few times I thought, I'm not dry. It's so hard to use, it doesn't make your hands dry. Linda's reaction threw me for a loop. This towel is not very good at drying a person. Yes, you are dry. Was I sold a set of luxury towels that don't work? I mean, here I am, enjoying the tingling sensation. Your pores are hydrated. And here's Linda alleging that the towel just isn't good at drying. You had one job, towel. What you're feeling is the moisture in the pores. 
The next time I use my favorite towel, I find myself asking a question I never thought I would ask myself. Am I wet? Is there some way I can tell? Should I regret that I'm so easy to upsell? Am I just another sucker buying things that I don't need? Just a fool in a consumeristic culture based on greed? Am I wet? How would I know? I forget. Am I wet? Is he wet? How can somebody not know? Would you bet that a simple test will show him that a towel he loves so dearly and acquires such expense doesn't do the job it's meant to? Did his purchase make no sense? Is he wet? How can somebody not guess when he's wet? I'm not sure. I don't know yet. Am I wet? Now I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, surely this is a question any qualified dermatologist could answer for me. Well, I thought the same thing. But it turns out it's not so easy. I phoned several dermatologists, none of whom knew how to scientifically measure how wet my skin was after drying it with one towel versus another. In fact, the only place that claimed to be able to do this for me was the French international beauty products chain Sephora. Their beauty consultants use a patented tool called the Moisture Meter to help them sell people moisturizer and expensive creams. But this tool is not for sale. And when I wrote to Sephora's head office asking if I could borrow one of their beauty consultants while I toweled myself on one side with terry cloth and the other side with my pestamel, they wrote back saying, quote, at this time we will politely decline as this is not the intended purpose of Sephora's moisture meter. So there was nothing else for it. I'd have to roll myself in flour and just see where it stuck. I spread the flour in an even layer on an expansive kitchen wrap on the floor and then got myself wet in the usual way, toweled my body for 10 seconds on one side with Linda's terry cloth towel, and then on the other side with my Turkish towel. And before any other factors could interfere with the science, I ran downstairs and rolled myself in the dry flour. Okay, which, which, which half has more flour on? Go in the sunlight? Um, uh... <laughs> um, I mean, let the record show I did not see which towel you used to dry which arm. I was making a tuna fish sandwich, minding my own business. This guy, your right arm. My right arm. Are you sure you don't mean, are you sure you're not turning it around because you're seeing it? That one. Are you sure it's not just the light? <laughs> I think that that arm just is covered in flour. Okay, that's the arm I used my Turkish towel on. Yeah, see, I mean, yeah, you're wet. The science was in, and it didn't look good for my Turkish towel. That is, if speed of drying is the true measure of a towel's success. However, what if there's another way to measure the value of a towel? Aristides pointed me to another major sales feature. I don't think she gets them. She doesn't want to use the ones I have. She's very loyal to the old terry cloth towel. You could actually just take your towel and her towel and just pass it under her nose while she's sleeping. And, <laughs> and if the stench of the terry cloth doesn't wake her up, I will tell you something, because I'm sure you have some of her towels at home, right? If they don't smell humid and musty, 
I'll give you six towels to give to your girlfriend free. You're putting no, a lot of, lot of writing on it. Give you six towels. Look, it is impossible for them not to smell. A wager like that deserves to be put to the test. It was time for a towel versus towel sniff-off. Although I decided to at least let Linda be awake. Okay, put this on. Is this going to be safe for work? It's a blindfold. Okay. I found two towels in the bathroom. One of them is mine. One of them is yours. My, like, a normal towel. Your, your terry cloth towel. I'm going to pass each of them beneath your nose, and I Ew. want you to tell me which you think oh, is which. Come on. The one that's my towel is dirty because it has been there for a while. They've both been there for roughly the same amount of time by my calculations. Uh, Here is towel number one. Okay, inhale deeply. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, that one smells bad. Really? Yeah. It smells yeah, fine to me. It's dirty. Okay. Try this one. I'm not exactly sure how to say this without it sounding very rude, but like... It's possible that I don't smell mine as much because it's my own bad smell. Is that true? Because I took a deep whiff of both of them, <laughs> and mine I thought was odor-free, and your one is hideous. Thanks a lot. Take another big sniff. I think you might have missed something. Mine smells fine to me. Try mine again. Ugh, like, yeah, no, sorry. I To my nose, yours smells worse. Wow. I'm sorry. That wasn't how I was expecting that test to go. I don't mind admitting it. In the abyss of failure, sometimes a glimmer of light. I could cash in on Aristides's wager. I'll give you six towels to give to your girlfriend free. However, what sort of cretin would I have to be to hold my towel merchant's feet to the fire in this way? It'd be sacrilegious. After all, my towels inspire me with the spirit of song, partly because of their tasteful colouring and hand-knotted tassels, and the way they introduced me to slow toweling as a habit and life philosophy. But that's not the whole story. Their power comes also from the manner in which they were sold to me. The connection formed between my towels and the historic bards of Crete. They keep making up these poems and stories. A connection also to the towel makers. I met the people who involved in making the towels. I know them. I mean, I know them well. This puts a value into the towel that couldn't be there without Aristides in his role. And it's a value he's totally aware of. you selling a product. You're telling people about it. Anecdotally, you know, like tell stories, you know, how it works. A little bit of that country, the feeling of that country, the history, the people of that country, you know. It's an inanimate object. It's, But it's... Uh, it's more than that, you know, and what I'm trying to do when I get them to my, is give them that little bit more than that. It's not like I'm just giving them a spiel. I'm not. I'm telling them something that I want them to espouse. I want them to feel this. And, and when I see that they do because of the way they react or what they tell me, you'd be amazed at the amount of joy or feeling it gives people when you actually tell them something that's meaningful to them. It's incredible. Incredible. When I was clearing up my house for Linda to move in, I got caught up in the Marie Kondo trend, and I noticed an admittedly small category of objects. 
where my joy in them derived from the person who sold them to me. A pair of woolen socks, which the seller described as the coziest pair of socks he had, quote, ever met. And strangely enough, my vacuum cleaner. Every time I use it, I think of the salesman who took it apart in front of me, praising its every component until I bought the thing as a kind of apology for having failed to appreciate it enough. I try not to be completely bamboozled, but in moments like these, a great merchant doing a great job of selling may become a source of lingering joy, an enduring spirit in the material object. It's a heroic feat, and it seems to me an injustice to let that go unsung. people putting the joy into the things you sell even if it's a pair of socks or a cotton flat weave turkish pajama people maybe you sell me things that i don't need but i hope that amazon and google don't make you a dying Were you looking for towels? How are you? I think you, you were here recently, no? Yeah, right now I have some exceptional towels. Towel of Song was written, recorded, produced, and sung by Tom Howell. It was conceived of and edited by me, AC Rowe. Special thanks to the Am I Wet singers, Veronica Simmons, Lindsay Michael, Julian Uzielli, and Pete Mori, and to technician Evan Kelly. It was originally broadcast back in April of 2019. And since then, holy cow, market has closed. Aristides was planning on closing it at some point anyway, but COVID-19 seems to have pushed the issue. Tom says he still uses Turkish towels exclusively, and Linda still uses terry cloth exclusively. And yet somehow, they've managed to keep their marriage alive. On our website, we have so much to see and listen to. You can see inside of Aristides' towel room in his store, with hundreds of towels arranged in glass display cases like precious china. Also, Linda took a photo of Tom's flower-dusted, or encrusted, arms so you can decide for yourself which arm looks drier. And lastly, on our website, you can download Am I Wet? I highly recommend setting it as your ringtone to impress your friends and alarm your enemies. You can find it all at cbc.ca slash docproject. Coming up next, the story of another object with a dedicated following. Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now.
Like I went looking for how you spell this word and instead I got grown men crying over a bowl of porridge. This is Johnny Spence. And his story of grown men crying over porridge starts back in 2016. So Johnny was on a road trip with his mom and his grandma to Nova Scotia. When they pull over at this little shop on the side of the road, Johnny's mom and grandma pop in. Johnny decides to wait outside by the car. And when they come back, they have a gift for him. So they come back and they hand me this package. And they're like, guess what it is? And I feel it. And it's long and skinny. It feels like wooden. I'm like, it's a drumstick. And they're like, it's not a drumstick. And then they start laughing uncontrollably. Eventually, let me open the package. And what I'm looking at is a sort of, it's like a drumstick that got dressed up for a party. And I was like, what is this? And then they said, it's a spurtle. A spurtle. A spurtle is a wooden stick for stirring your porridge. Why do you have to use a special tool to stir porridge? Specifically in a clockwise motion also. If you stir a spurtle in a counterclockwise motion, you're inviting the devil into your kitchen. Well, nobody wants devil porridge. You don't want devil porridge. So you use a spurtle instead of a spoon to stir your porridge because a spoon has too much drag in the surface area. And what that does, it, it clumps the porridge. So Johnny gets this gift of a spurtle with which to stir his clump-free porridge. And then we were arguing about how you spell the word spurtle. For the record, it's S-P-U-R-T-L-E, spurtle. Which led us inevitably to Google. And then when I searched for it, this sort of world of weirdness opened up, which is the Golden Spurtle competition. The Golden Spurtle Championship happens in Carbridge, Scotland every year. Carbridge is this tiny village that is transformed essentially overnight into the epicenter of oat. People from everywhere, I mean all over the globe, come here to compete for the world's best porridge, which is judged on a range of criteria from color and, of course, taste to consistency. Hence the spurtle, right? No clumps. There are two categories for competition. The main one is traditional Scottish porridge, They're competing for the coveted Golden Spurtle Trophy. In that event, competitors can only use water, salt, and oats. And then there's a specialty competition where they can use whatever they want. If right now you're asking yourself, this is just porridge, right? Like, porridge? How good can it possibly be? Johnny has an answer for that, too. It's out of this world. Like, I I tasted maybe 15 different porridges, bowls of porridge that were competing for the world's best porridge, including I ate from the bowl that then later won the best porridge in the world. And it was, in a way, it was just porridge. (laughs) Like, it was really well done simplicity. And I think that's kind of what this competition is all about. It's, and that's kind of what a spurtle is all about. Like porridge and spurtles and Carbridge, Scotland, I think the thing they all have in common is they're very simple at their heart, but within the simplicity is kind of everything that you could possibly imagine. Welcome to the 24th World Porridge Making Championship. And who's going to win the Golden Spurtle? This Golden Spurtle. Porridge is always tasty. That's how Scottish people get through the day. (laughs) Some whiskey in the porridge. My mum does do that. Who would have thought porridge would be this wild? Anything can happen. (laughs) Porridge. 
porridge. Porridge. Porridge. I don't like porridge. Sticks to your ribs. So this is the Golden Spurtle. Golden Spurtle. Golden Spurtle competition. It's very Scottish. My eyes have really been open to a whole world of porridge that I didn't really know about. And the winner of the World Porridge Making Championships, the 24th event, is... Spurtle is... Spurtle is a wooden, wooden stick, stick for stirring your porridge. It's like a wooden spoon with no spoon on it. And it traditionally has a thistle on the end. The end is shaped like a thistle. That's possibly a wee bit naff. It's just a wooden stick. And that's about all there is to it. It, it. It's got very few features, actually. It's got very few defining features. Maybe that's part of what defines it, is it's very simple. After two days of travel, first flying over an ocean, and then driving north through the Scottish Highlands, at last I've arrived in Carbridge. Armed with my spurtle, my microphone, and a deep curiosity about the kinds of people I might find at such a tasty tournament, I waste no time and set off towards Town Hall for the opening ceremonies. The room is electric. A cacophony of accents and languages wash over my ears, and flags from the various nations represented at this year's competition hang from the ceiling. Friends and rivals from years past are embracing, and a few first-time competitors stand with a whiskey in their hand and a stunned look on their face. The room quiets down as a man steps forward to read an original poem titled Ode to the Porridge. In fair car bridges, autumn wounds, an ancient battle now resumes. A challenge met with flags unfurled, then championship of the porridge world. The porridge maker's holy grail, the golden spurtle, will without fail. Omaka winner sobbed with tears, as joy and pride are buoyed by cheers. A whiskey dram for calm within, now start ye fires and let's begin. Now we're at the reception. All the competitors um, gather together here and uh, spot the competition and see who's your, who's the target to um, really is in for the challenge. Well, this is a chance for our, us old hands at the competition. This is my ninth year competing uh, to meet the new competitors and either try and make them feel at ease or try and worry them a bit. <laughs> well, before I came here, um, I wasn't nervous at all and I had no idea what to expect. But since I've been here tonight, I feel how important the porridge championships are, um, especially the people that have competing before they try to give advice. I, I hope I'm seen as a father figure now. And they talk about newcomers as the newbies. <laughs> the old man of the porridge. <laughs> and it's really a big thing. So uh, yeah, the pressure is on now. It's Mr. Prawn. He's a former world champion and Simon Rookyard, it's Eleanor, she's the Swedish champion, reigning champion of Sweden. <laughs> yeah. What's the secret? To have fun. I used to see what my father ate every day before he went to the woods because he was working in the forest. Yeah, I will remember my father for this. <laughs> Does it make you nervous to see so many former world champions? No, not at all. Oh no. Do you think you're going to win this year? Yeah. I do. 
My name is Johan Ringmar. I'm from Hudiksvall in Sweden. Johan is tall, wears glasses, and comes across as simultaneously stern and a bit goofy. He's one of two first-time competitors who I'm going to follow throughout the competition. I've always loved uh, like oat flakes or rolled oats. I've had a lot of that porridge when I was young and when I was at the university. And then I, I, I got the Swedish name for, for oat flakes, Havregryn, as a website. So I started to collect recipes. And uh, so instead of a recipe in 2009 or something, I got this tip about uh, the competition. So, so I, I went here in 2010, and then I said something stupid like, uh, I'll come here until Sweden wins this competition. So now I've been here seven years watching and Sweden never wins. So this year I'm going to compete myself. I think I'm going to win. I've been practicing at home every day. Last weekend I had porridge made for my, my wife's family, both my traditional and special porridge. What does your wife think about this? Oh, she thinks it's crazy. But I said, I've made this like a, like a promise. I, I'll come until Sweden wins. So I have to stand up for it. Yeah. And tell me about the moniker you've been given. Yeah, yeah, like, like the porridge hooligan. Yeah, that was the first year I was here with three of my friends and we had the Swedish national team shirts on and we were like shouting and screaming. And there was an Australian guy interviewed us and he called us the Swedish porridge hooligans. I don't know, you know, is it bad to be a hooligan? Yes, it is. What do you say? Would you be frightened if you had a porridge hooligan coming? But now the Irish guys are coming and taking it over. Now it's the Irish hooligans coming. We're so scared. Our job tonight now is to spot the, uh, the competition for Patrick and uh, make sure we provide him with enough alcohol as possible that they're not in peak condition tomorrow for porridge making. So uh, that's, what, that, that, you know, that, that's what I was brought along here. We're, we're an shop. essential part of the team, essential, really, yeah. too. What we did before we left was we visited Paddy's home and we could see his mantelpiece is missing. The width of the golden spurt was just that perfect size that yeah. was fitted in. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, yeah. Now, let's meet the other first-time competitor we're going to be following. Paddy O'Connell is my name. I own a company called Paddy O's Cereals. And we're based in the Midlands in Ireland, in a county called Leash. And here we are in Carbridge in Scotland, ready to bring home the golden spurtle. Paddy is in his mid-thirties, with a warm smile and a twinkle in his eye. I um, really feel that the competition is quite stiff, so I'm really happy with my ingredients. I've brought over the freshest cut oats, so they were, they were just milled in the last few days. I brought over some beautiful Irish water and some, some great sea salt from the Atlantic Ocean. When I got accepted to compete, I told my friends about uh, the World Porridge Making Championships and the, each and every one of them, they just had the, the biggest laugh and said, we are in. So there's a squad of us here. There's um, 10 lads um, coming over. So I'm going to spearhead this and um, try to bring back the Spurtle to Ireland. Until I started making and selling out, they were like, let's, let's put on the bacon, let's put on the eggs. 
And then I said, enough of that. Let's, let's, let's start eating oats, lads. And since then, everyone has started eating. In the village where I grew up, I, I started production over our... We own a little pub in Cullahill in County Leash that has been in our family for 100 years this year. So my, my great-grandfather bought it in 1917, and that's where I started making granola. So I found that the best time to sell granola was at about 2 a.m., on a Sunday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, when the waft of pure golden oats was coming into the pub, everyone would come up and start tasting the granola and like enjoying the oat, the smell from the oats. And they used to all buy from me. And um, that's, that's how I ended up in the cereal business. I would never have thought that I'd be representing Ireland in porridge making championships. I always thought kind of growing up that it could be on the sports field or something like that. But... If it's porridge, so be it. We'll take it on. With the reception drawing to a close, I decide to head over to the local pub and see what kind of porridge antics might be brewing. The place is absolutely packed from the fireplace at one end to the pool table at the other, and it doesn't take long to find two former world champions debating the boundless virtues and endless varieties contained within this humble grain. The grain, the, the grain grows on the plant. The grain grows on the plant, and there are two ways you can handle it to make it fit for human consumption. You can crush it between rollers and flatten it, and that's what we call rolled oats or porridge oats. You can also physically break the grain, fracture it in pieces, Similarly to milling flour, you can make it of any texture you want, from extremely coarse, where you would cut the grain into two pieces, which we call pinhead oatmeal, or you can grind it finer and finer and the sky's limit. There's a huge difference in flavour between how the actual grain is handled. And we of Planet Porridge would generally consider that the, the milled oats is far, is far superior to a, a crushed oat. The rolled oats are usually steamed beforehand. So that they're steamed and then dried to break them down slightly, and then they're rolled, which takes out some of the nu- nutrition out of them, obviously, in the process. Um, whereas the steel cut or the pinhead oat, it's, it's mucked about with as little as possible. It's straight off the plant and into your stomach, if you like. Um, so it's, it's got to be better for you. A rolled oats are the creation of Satan. They, they are ground in the rollers of hell. <laughs> so we, were, we were talking earlier about the, what the judges look for. And they look for a nuttiness, which is texture, a bit of bite, but they also look for creaminess as well. The whole thing is uh, very, uh, very idiosyncratic. I mean, a woman once told me it's like judging the beauty of men. You know, do you want uh, you want big and strong and hairy, or do you want stro- you know lithe and athletic and dancing, or big and cuddly like me? So, what what kind of man is your porridge? <laughs> B- brutal, hairy-chested, muscular, <laughs> rough around the edges, weave it like me, I guess. <laughs> and what kind of man is your porridge? Nutty and strong flavoured. <laughs> Don't think about that too much.
It's morning on the day of the big event. As chefs soak their oats and ready their spurtles, I'm headed to Paddy's hotel, where the last of his friends have just arrived on the overnight train from London. How are you feeling? Nervous? Great, great. Nervous, excited. Ready to go? Pardon? Ready to go? Ready to go. Excited. Uh, the oats have soaked, I'd say, perfectly. Good were you dreaming of porridge? I was, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the guys, when they arrived, they went straight to the village hall and put a Irish flag over the banner of the sponsors to really claim the territory as ours. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. But I think Mick is going to kick off the, the jersey giving. Uh, well, uh, good, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Scotland. We're here now to present the uh, Patios themed rugby jerseys uh, to Team Patios. So uh, we might start off with uh, Paddy himself. And Great. Uh, our, th- our thoughts are with you. Uh, stir well. I will. Salt well. Soak well. And uh, we, we won't delay too much here because there are spurtles to be stirred and uh, porridge to be eaten. And I'd say next up is uh, Sean the Nose McDermott. As Paddy and his friends don their jerseys and get ready for the big day, I walk to the center of town. Passing the old stone bridge, I run into Johan and the rest of the Swedish competitors. They're dressed loudly and proudly in the bright yellows and brilliant blues of the Swedish flag. The home of porridge, Sweden. Johan, how are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling very well, thank you. Excited. My oats are soaked and um, yeah, I'm prepared. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, good. Could you, um, could you tell us what's about to happen? Set, yeah. set the scene of where we are sure. and what's happening. Well, what's happening is we're, we're in the main street of Car Bridge, just beside the old bridge, which is 300 years old, and we have the procession now, and we collect all the competitors, uh, plus their followers. So, for example, you see there's Swedes, there's Norwegians, the very tall chap over there is Russian, there's the Icelandic girls. I mean, we've got a fantastic selection of people. We then have a parade following the pipe band, which will then take us up to the village hall, and then the competitors then will then uh, drink a toast to the porridge, and then we'll go in and we'll start the competition. Anyone who wants to march up the street and behind the pipe band, the more the merrier. We march down Main Street and up the steps into Town Hall. Once inside, the chefs stand at the ready behind their designated cooking stations, and audience members scramble to find a good seat or place to stand. The competition is about to begin. The rules, no kicking, biting, or spitting. Please light your fires. Are you all lit? Ladies and gentlemen, make the best porridge in the world. Thank you. Johan, how are things going over here? Oh, uh, it, I think it's 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 going it's going quite okay. I'm putting it to boil, and then uh, after that I start my clock. I'll have it boil for ten minutes, like and stirring and, and boiling, and um, then I'll put the traditional one into bowls, and then I'll start with a specialty porridge. It will take me another three four minutes, I think. 
Patty, do you want to narrate what you're doing a bit right now? Yes, yeah, so I, I'm just paying a lot of attention to make sure that this um, the product gets to the boil as quick as possible, and then it just to let it stew for a bit of time. This is simply just oats and water. So the oats have been um, soaking for about 17 hours with it, with the water, and, and that is it. They just soften up, so they'll cook a little bit quicker, and um, just really give it the best opportunity to taste well. Really, for these judges, they look pretty discerning, so we want to um, blow them away. My name is Shirley, Shirley Spear. Um, as a judge, I'm looking for the integrity with the ingredients and the simplicity with people, the way in which the competitors are actually using those um, good ingredients to create a delicious dish. My name is Lydie Bouquillon, and um, that's my second year judging the porridge. Uh, and it's also always very, very exciting because I'm always looking for flavors, and people are so creative, they go wild. What was that all about? <laughs> There's a little, a little song. It's got a deep, deep meaning, but uh, couldn't be repeated on Canadian radio. <laughs> so how are we, how are we feeling about Paddy? Slightly like nervous, slightly nervous. nervous. Growing up playing rugby with a lad, he was always like this, nervous before a big game. I just want to say, I think it's a bold move by Paddy to use a wooden spoon. I mean, everyone seems to be using a spurtle. I think that's controversial, actually, Sean, isn't it? There's, there's people up there using plastic spatulas and uh, metal spoons, but mostly they all seem to have a spurtle. It's my one concern about Paddy now is that he, he didn't even bring a spurtle. But uh, he's, he's unorthodox, but I think it might, be, it might be the difference. I'd say next year they'll all be using wooden spoons. Johan, can you describe what you're doing right now? Well, I'm picking some, uh, I'm picking blueberries, but I'm putting blueberries into the, like a topping on the porridge, on my vanilla porridge. It's, it's supposed to be a, a, a white, a Viking shield. So, Patty, how's it going? What's 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 the development? It's, um, I, I don't think I, I didn't have enough time. That's what I'm kind of thinking. If Patty doesn't get through to the final, he has to give Gaz. Uh, a foot massage in the village hall with his hands lubricated with Guinness. Finish off now, please. Feeling it's going to go down to the last second. Finish. Finish. What can I say? Um, probably needed another couple of minutes. <laughs> Stress. Whoever knew uh, porridge making could be so stressful, but uh, really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed that. Yep. While the judges make their final deliberations, I talked to some audience members about what they've seen, smelt, and tasted throughout the day. So what's, what's been happening? Um, we've had six folk um, all come and talk about how they make their porridge. And um, it was a very interesting Swedish lady who does it all by feel, which is like proper intuitive and yeah, a lot of different techniques going on. Who do you think is going to win? I'm kind of hoping the Swedish lady. Yeah, Ellen, Eleanor Pearson's got my vote. Heart and soul, not trying to sell a product, all about the feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So what's, describe the energy in the room right now. What's, what's the room like? Anticipation and hopefulness. Towards the end, everybody's pushing to get in to see who is actually going to get it. Somebody's got to win it. And here we go. 
the judges have delivered. Let's just see what's here. Can I borrow a microphone just because I'm sure you can't hear me? And the winner of the speciality porridge is Per Carlson. A Swede won the speciality dish. No, it's not our guy, but the main event is still to be announced. And the winner of the World Porridge Making Championships, the 24th event, is Eleanor Perrison. <laughs> So your your favorite one? Absolutely delighted. So great. All about the feeling. The feeling of the porridge, heart and soul. Well done, Eleanor. Johan, a, sw yeah. a Swede won. Sweden won the double. It's fantastic. I don't have to come here anymore. Finally, what a what a day. We won the both both titles. Fantastic. So even though you didn't win, you're still happy? I'm still happy. As I said, I, I've, I've been there for seven years just because I like the event and, and I've said I'll come until Sweden wins and now we win both the, the titles. So it's really amazing. It's a, it's a fantastic day. I find Eleanor on the steps of Town Hall, surrounded by her family, Golden Spurtle in hand. It's amazing. I mean, both Sweden take the first place and I don't have the word, no. It's really funny, it's really great, and it's a beautiful day in Scotland. <laughs> oh! Forfeit! Guys, forfeit! On the lawn! I've got Guinness, I've got Guinness. Yeah, get those feet nice, <laughs> nice and sweaty. Nice and sweaty. Can you tell us what the forfeit is? So the forfeit is. Uh, because Paddy was such a failure, he's going to have to give Ronan a nice foot rub. Also, he's going to massage Guinness into the feet. So I'm, we're going to try and describe it now. Um, the shoe is coming off. Oh, there's a hole in the... It's a sweaty sock. Oh, nice, nice. This is going, this is going to be nice. Paddy's now removing the sock. Rub his foot. Both hands. Excuse me, Patrick. 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 Okay, I'll get Both hands. He's uh, rubbed their foot. Rob Producer Johnny Spence. That doc was edited by Allison Cook with music by Aval. It was originally broadcast back in January of 2018. The 2020 Golden Spurtle competition was held virtually. And the competition is now accepting video entries for their virtual 2021 competition. So they are hoping to be back in Carbridge, Scotland on International Porridge Day, October 10th, 2022. The Doc Project team this week is Sherry Okeke, Tanera McLean, and me. Althea Manassen is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. And our executive producer is Joan Melanson. I'm Macy Rowe. And in the farewell thanks of my incredibly Scottish mother, ta for gin us your lugs. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.